Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And welcome to Ladies Who London podcast. I'm Emily Dell. And I'm Alex Lacey and we are qualified London Blue Badge Tourist Guides. Each week we bring to you some of the best bits of London. We talk about our favourite people, places and events with a bit of information, a lot of laughs and a whole lot of fun. We can be found on Instagram at Ladies Who London podcast and on our website skydemily.com and alexlacey.com as well as our dedicated website ladieswholondon.com for the show notes and more information about us and what the Blue Badge has to offer. Pew, pew, pew! Nailed it! <laughs> it's only taken uh, 18 months. We're getting there. <laughs> and I love how we haven't changed it at all. I know. Although we have added, Should added we change something, it? but... Should we change it? Let's ask our listeners. Do you think we should change our intro? <laughs> that could be one of the questions on the wheel. Could be. It could be. How are or you, Em? The... Yeah, yeah. I'm good. I am good. very well. What you been up to? Well, um, I actually passed my driving theory test. <gasps> well done. Congratulations. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Great news. <gasps> Just. I mean, oh, God, really? <laughs> Yeah. yeah 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 you need um uh what is it out of 50 you need to get at least 45 i think no 43 and i got 44 oh squeaking yeah. through oh my yeah, god yeah, yeah. are you gonna be safe to go on the roads i don't i've already well to be honest this is the second time i've done my theory and i failed twice the actual <laughs> test on one occasion i was on a bollard and apparently didn't know you so I don't know. <laughs> on a bollard, the driver was like, "Are you aware you're on a bollard?" What? And I was like, "Are we?" And he was like, "Do you not realise that we're like, like the wheel on the left is up?" And but I was this, like, "This is your theory oh. test." No, this was my actual driving oh, your test. Actual driving test. My fit, but the first time I did my theory test was a few years ago now, and because of COVID, it ran out, so I had to do it again. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my goodness. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> so watch so, out if you do see me on the road. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna step away. There we go. How are you? 
I'm very well, yes. Um, what have I been up to this week? I did a lovely food tour with a group of ladies today mm. in the East End, which was so much fun. Um, and I went to see Moulin Rouge at the theatre <gasps> last night as oh well. God, I cannot tell you how jealous I was when I saw your post. I know you were like, I'm going to the theatre. I was like, she always goes to the theatre. And then <laughs> I was like, she's probably seen some kind of naturalistic play that I've never heard of. And then um, I suddenly saw your post with Moulin Rouge. I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> You can just book tickets for it, right? Um, I can't afford to go to Moulin Rouge. 25 quid. You're kidding. Yeah, I booked a few months ago. 25 quid. Book- You're kidding. Oh, yeah, I don't. I never spend money on theatre. I, I would much rather see four plays for 25 quid than one play for, for 100 quid. <gasps> I'm always, I'm, I cheap out, mate. I didn't know that you could oh, yeah. for 25 pounds. Yeah, I mean, I booked it probably in November. So book in advance. 25, I'm not going to spend 80 pounds or whatever on that. No. Oh, my God. I mean, I was up in the nosebleeds, but that was fine. It was Was great. it good? Yeah. It was a real spectacle. Yeah. Oh, real spectacle! Yeah, they, they've they've done the entire theatre to make it look like you're in the. You know how normally it's just the stage and maybe it comes out a bit from the stage. Yes, this, I mean we were up in the in the upper circle or wherever, and and you know it had the swags and the lights all over the the wall, so you felt like you were part of the club. It was brilliant. Yeah, really clever. Gosh, yeah, I, mean, I, I, I saw electric. your picture and it just looked like, oh, just like a, a Valentine's chocolate box. It was all red and yeah. yeah. Sexy and sultry. Yeah, it was yeah. it was really, really good. I mean, there were a, a couple of... Yeah, I mean, it, there were a couple of bits that uh, let it down a little bit. But for the most part, I mean, it was just a spectacle. And it's over the top mm. and ridiculous and crazy and brilliant. And it's what you want it to be. Um, yeah, so it was very, very enjoyable. Mm. Imagine if you had the job of just being a, a theatre reviewer. Well... <laughs> I very nearly had that job. Oh, did she? Well, Why would you give that up? I applied to be one of the judges on the Olivier panel. Really? Um, yeah, this year. And I had an interview and I got an email today to say I hadn't got it, but I was very today? close. Today? Yeah. I didn't get it, but I was very close. So that would have been quite cool. Oh, my gosh. But you'd have to see 100 plays of or pieces of theatre a year. Oh, that'd be fine. It is quite a lot. It's yeah, I guess so. It's, it's a lot of ice creams to get through, isn't it? A lot of ice creams. Mm. I'd, I'd, have, I'd have done it, you know, I'd have taken that for the team. But Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, so I didn't get it, but, you know, that is a that is a thing you can do. That is a thing you can not, do. It's not a reviewer, but it's it's um, picking out the best performances in the shows to then win the Olivier Awards. Wow. I would absolutely If, if it's something anybody that. out there wants to do, they recruit, I think once a year maybe, so just check it out and apply and, yeah. But they had about 300, 400 people apply, so, you know. Oh, God, wow. Well, I'm glad that you said, well, they didn't have you. <laughs> because <laughs> maybe you would have left the pod. Probably would have done. I'd have been like, nah, yeah. stop it, stop it. <laughs> so, uh, let's have a little look at last week. What did we chat about last weekend? So, you told us all about the fascinating and sparkly story <laughs> of the Koh-i-Noor. The Koh-i-Noor diamond, yeah, which um, I hadn't quite i mean i knew it was quite a tragic story i hadn't quite really <laughs> hadn't quite managed to jolly it, up, jolly it up a bit but you know i haven't been in the tower of london since last week but i cannot wait to go in there because i'm going to be looking at it in a completely different way yeah. um it was a fascinating and as you say tragic story um and you told it very well 
Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Um, so uh, last at the end of last week, we uh, got our podcast pedestal picks. Mm. <laughs> and mine was the signing of the treaty, which was when uh, Duleep Singh, as a, I think about a 10-year-old boy, um, was forced to sign away, you know, uh, just this, well, a sort of peace treaty, but actually it was him signing away his, his lands and in particular in a specific clause about the diamond. So it's clear what the Brits wanted to get their hands on was the diamond. And let's not forget, he was in the Hall of Mirrors. So, you know, he he was looking at himself from every single angle, looking at yeah. that treaty, that moment. Yeah. I mean, it almost sounds like I, I picked your option. Um, <laughs> so it was a good option. I went for when he had the diamond, he touched it for the very last time and gave it to Queen Victoria. Um well, that was a pretty important part of the story. Yeah, the bit where he she'd, she'd had it recut, she brought him to see it, and he she gave it to him, and he gave it back to her and said, it, you know, it's my greatest pleasure to give this back to you myself, which must have been a hard thing to do. Yeah. Yeah, well, two good options. Which way do you think it went? Well, I made a bit of a boo-boo. <laughs> so I put up the poll like I always do, um, and I forgot to put up the poll on my personal Instagram <laughs> I probably went and made a coffee or did Carmen's nappy. She's devastated, completely folks. Completely forgot. She's devastated and with I herself. Really, I think if if I had put up my poll, I'd be sitting here in, you know, the confident chair. <laughs> um, but now... Well, um, let me tell you, the, the chair can still be confident because you won. <gasps> Am I really? <laughs> <laughs> so excited she hit the microphone, folks. <laughs> Yep, I think the tooth just fell out. <laughs> it was 59% to 41, so quite convincingly, Whoa. yeah. Whoa, can we just say that that happened without me putting my poll up as well? <laughs> Which actually, maybe that was good because who knows? Oh, brilliant. Because otherwise Nick would have voted oh. for me again. Yeah, true, too true, true story. Um, great, so that is, what are we on, 3-2 now? I think so. I think so. That's not too bad. Come on, Emily. Come on, Emily. Bring it on. Well, let's uh, head onwards to see what this week has in store. Where are we this weekend? Well, at the end of last episode, the last episode, we spoke about how we went on a bit of a trip Mm. to the old operating theatre around the corner from London Bridge. And we had the pleasure of talking to a wonderful lady who worked there, Monica, and she gave us a little interview. So with that, we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about the old operating theatre and, you know, what it is and what the building used to be. And then, um, yeah, we'll hear a little bit of what Monica has to say. Absolutely. And it is genuinely one of those places. It's a little bit like um, on Global Tea Break, we spoke about uh, the Foundling Museum, which is another one that we, we could potentially do again in the future. And it's one of those slightly lesser known museums that London has to offer, but that is just brilliant. So... It, you know, it, it's one of those, I think it's a really lovely, and there's a little bit of secrecy to it as well, isn't there, in terms of how it was found. So head away, Em, off we go. Over to you. Yeah, no worries at all. So um, if you're heading there, it's on St Thomas Street. And when you go in, you know, if you didn't know that you were going into the old operating theatre We should museum, say St Thomas Street is by London Bridge. It's the road that goes from Borough Market down to the Shard. So yeah. you know, pretty prime location. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, and to look at it from the outside, you think, oh, I'm going to go into a church. You see this church tower, you know, yeah. it's a red brick building. You think that you're going to go in at some point, you're, you're going to turn right, you're going to be in the nave. But no, you go in and you go up this spiral staircase where the banister is made out of rope. And uh, all the, the wood, the wooden floorboards are creaking and it's just got a really mystical feel about it. And you head up to the top of this tower. Um, and I'll come back to that in terms of what you're going to see next, because the road name is very important to the history of the old operating theatre, because it is in a church or in, a, in what used to be a church, which was called St. Thomas Church. And we don't know exactly when it was built, the first one at least, because there'd been a couple, but we kind of think that it went back to about the 12th century. The church was dedicated to Sir Thomas Beckett, who um, uh-huh. was a saint or is a saint, and he was killed in 1170 by four knights. And there was a famous quote uttered by the king at the time, will somebody rid me of this turbulent priest? Four knights overheard and off they went to Canterbury and killed Sir Thomas Beckett. But I have to say the name of this church did change during the Reformation. Okay. So um, Thomas Beckett Shrine was actually destroyed by King Henry VIII. Um, Well, not him personally, Um, but shrines were taken away. Dedications were taken away to saints. And at this point, the name of the church changed in London Bridge um, to St. Thomas the Apostle. We're doing full-on classic history this week, aren't we? Oh, we're diving in, babes. We're diving in. (laughs) Henry VIII, Reformation, all the kind of stuff we would never touch on this pod, but we're doing it. (laughs) Um, So the church was part of a humongous hospital. So, I mean, if you build a church today, there's always going to be a chapel attached to it. Um, But back then, when a church was built, the chapel would have been huge you know you would have had a massive church connected to it which essentially um is what st thomas was it served the um the people of the hospital and it was used as a place where people that died in the hospital were buried Mm. um the the hospital is right over the road directly opposite yeah yeah directly opposite um, the church had a few additions in the 17th century, including the bell tower. It was then um, in 1697 reported that the church was so decayed that people were actually afraid to go inside. <laughs> yeah, can you imagine? Um, so this is when it was actually rebuilt in this kind of neoclassical style with this red brick, white stone dressing. Um, and it's very this is pretty. It, really it is. is. It is very pretty, very pretty. And this is part of the museum today. Um, now, the church is actually, or what is the museum, the oldest surviving part of St. Thomas Hospital. And this hospital, when it did exist, it was huge. It would have gone from Borough Market all the way down Tooley Street to the end of Tooley Street. So we're talking the the width from London Bridge to Tower Bridge, essentially. Um, You had women, the women's ward over where the museum is today. You had the men's ward where you could find the shard. Um, And then you kind of had the the admin in the middle, if you like. Okay. Now, if we're going back up those spiral staircases, so as I say, you've got this really 
atmospheric way up the building. You've got all of the creaking wood. You suddenly come into what was the garret, which was created in 1822. Um, so it's quite exciting because the museum is actually celebrating its bicentenary this year. Yes. Of the garret and the old operating theatre, both created at this time. Um, a garret is somewhere that created medicines and dried herbs that would have been used for all sorts of remedies and aiding people. And they would have used this particular space, the garret, to store these items before it was then going to be shipped elsewhere, used in the hospital or used in other places around London. And this is part of the museum and it is in the eaves right at the top, surrounded by wood. You've got wooden beams above you. And then the light comes through the window and just hits all of these colorful bottles that at one time would have been filled with all sorts of different things to help people. You've got smells of spices and herbs. You've got crazy instruments which look like they should be used in the clink museum in the torturous the instruments of torture they go no this is supposed to help you you're like how (laughs) it's like this is that's gonna give me out some of these things (laughs) there are um eyeballs in jars there are there are hearts and lungs it's a a feast for the senses if you are Hannibal um how would you describe it Alex yeah exactly like that it's it's really atmospheric and it's right the way up in the eve so I think it's like 50 60 steps up and like you said this Mm. really tight winding staircase and yeah it's so atmospheric when you get up there you kind of imagine a sort of you know crazy potion guy in the corner mixing up remedies and, and with a cauldron or something it's it's quite amazing Mm, yeah it really really is and it's so dark in there and as I say just a little bit of light comes through and shines on certain items and it can actually be quite beautiful in parts um now next to the garret you go um up a little staircase and you are suddenly in some something that looks completely different and it's uh, the operating theatre, the old operating theatre, also created in 1822. And this was specifically to operate on women. Yeah. And I mentioned that this is the area where you would have had the women's ward. And actually before 1822, when it came to women, you know, having amputations or being treated, this would have happened in the ward. So let's say you're in your bed and you know that you've got to have your foot amputated. There's a curtain around you. Sheila next door, she's having her leg amputated right now. Um, And part of her toe is landed on your bed. Oh, Emily. So why is her toe landing on your bed? I'm just creating the scene. Oh God, okay. No, what I'm trying to say is it would have... it would have been so scary because you've just probably got a little curtain surrounding you so you know if if you're having an operation and you're hearing these ladies just you know in the next few beds screaming because they're having something done it would have just been terrible so um, an operating theater to be away from the women's ward not hugely away I mean I don't think it was soundproofed so you probably would have still heard but 
um, away enough to help a little. Separated off, let's say. To s- separated off. Um, the men's operating theatre was created in 1755. Although, of course, um, in terms of who is actually going into the operating theatre, um, you do have more men coming in because more men are working in industries where there would be all sorts of, uh, you know, dangers. Mm. So soldiers and sailors and people working in factories. And when um, we kind of uh, go towards the Industrial Revolution, when women are starting to work in more factories, that's when we start to see more women coming in and needing to be operated on. Yeah. So before then, I suppose the majority of the women would have been in their own homes. And so the, the level of any injuries would have been significantly reduced to what yeah. the men w- would have had working in the fields and stuff. So, yeah, that. Yeah. I suppose it makes sense. It's still a bit, you know, because there would have been women who needed operations. But of course, yeah, it's still... Um, Now, to describe the room, the operating room, um, it's changed a little today. So if you go to the museum, um, the floorboards, for instance, that you're standing on have have changed. There is a skylight at the above, which would have been created in 1822 to allow the light to bleed in and light up, of course, the person who was having this surgery. And what you'll notice is there are lots of seats, uh, almost kind of in in a U shape, So it wasn't just a place for people to be operated on. It was also a place of learning. If you were a student, you were going to go in there and you were going to learn exactly what was needed in terms of um, uh, amputation or various other things that they were going to do. And this is the time when surgeons didn't go to university. Their knowledge was passed down from surgeon to apprentice. So if you're in there and it's really busy and somebody's head is in your way and you miss quite an important (laughs) part, (laughs) you know, (laughs) it's pretty serious, isn't it? Pretty serious. serious. Um, And I mentioned somebody's head in the way because it would have been packed. Capacity wise, what do you think? How many people do you think you could fit in there, Alex? Well, I mean, when you look at it, I mean, we were there with a group of people and we were maybe... I don't know, 40 or 50 of us. And mm. I wouldn't have wanted to be in there with too many more people. No, 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 no. It would have been quite claustrophobic, wouldn't it? It would. Well, in order to find out that, what we should do is go to the professional. Let's head to Monica and find out what she has to say about it. Right, so today we are very lucky to be in the old operating theatre just around the corner from London Bridge and we are standing with Monica Walker. Hello, Monica. Hello. Hello, guys. Welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited <laughs> to be here. <laughs> in, in your, in in your my space. <laughs> in your own office. In my own office. Exactly. <laughs> so we've been talking a little bit about the, the operating theatre, how it came to be, mm-hmm. um, the, you know, where, how that it was, it was un, well, just left in the attic for a hundred years and people had sort of forgotten it was there. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about exactly what would have gone on in the space during a surgery and how that would have been. Oh my God. I mean, I think that that's one of the main, I mean, the main reasons that we exist as a cultural heritage space. It has to do with the fact that like surgery, I mean, this is the oldest operating theater in Europe. Like this predates anesthesia, this predates antiseptics. So you can imagine that uh, when you will come to a place like this, um, it would have been quite horrifying from modern standards. For them, it would have been like their day to day and just going, you know, about their business in a space that was mostly made out of wood. No way of actually doing deep cleaning. They did clean the space 
this before. Um, oh, yes, they did. I mean, we do have a mop here from the time, so they would have I actually, know. you know, cleaned around the space before it was used, but it would be very rudimentary. Yeah. So you have to imagine that the operating theater is basically set up as a theater. So the idea is that when surgery became more professionalized in a way, and the education of surgeons became of paramount importance in terms of, you know, how many you know, students you're going to have and how many operations you're going to be able to see because you learn by observation, right, at that yeah. time period. Um, and a theater is the perfect kind of setup for that because you do have a central point where everybody can actually see. And of course, it's a raised operating theater, which means that everybody's heads are going to be above each other so that everybody yeah. from every tier will be able to see. You know, you will have about 150 students, all of them packed like sardines. I mean, you see this space. I mean, there was like already, what, 30 of us and it was felt packed. Yeah, it's quite, it can't really imagine, imagine that many people. 50, you know? And you would have that many students um, that would have been packed here. Of course, there would have been a hierarchy to how and where you sat, or sorry, not sat, stand, you know, because this is a standing operating theater. So there would have been like a hierarchy even within the space itself, even before you brought a patient in, you know, how and where people were located um, said something about your status and how, you know, what type of student you were. Were you one of them? You know, were you another surgeon who just wanted to observe, you know, were you kind of like a fancy person from the aristocracy <laughs> who wanted to have a first-time view? You will get a chair right in, t in front of the oh actual operating goodness. table. Like there's row. chairs there. What do you think those chairs are there for? That's, I mean, that's in the splash zone. I am not kidding. These are for like VIP people VIP. that will be in in the actual space to actually see the surgical procedure like firsthand, you know. And of course, depending on how long you'll be studying, you'll be like further and further away from the actual um, operation, you know. Um, originally, in other operating theaters, you will also sell tickets to the general public. <gasps> operations, no. Yes, operations were like really interesting for people because they actually it's the time where, you know, things were happening. It's like the age of the concept of modernity and rational kind of like enlightenment and things like that. And people actually saw operating theaters and what happened here as one more example of, you know, kind of like history in the making, you know, changes yeah. that, that, that were seen everywhere. And of course, there's the whole morbid idea of seeing an operation. After all, there's like that kind of curiosity. Now, St. Thomas's would not have this. Other operating theaters did. In St. Thomas's, it was strictly for students. And that's because they had an overabundance of students. And therefore, uh. that pretty much meant that they did not have enough space for all of the students that had to come here. Um, they actually were sharing operating theaters with guys as well. So students from guys would come here, students from St. Thomas's could go there. So the operating theater was definitely the place to go if you wanted to become a surgeon. So you learn from observation and first-hand experience what that looked like, even before you actually went into the space and look at the operation. Now, an operation would have been quite dramatic. Um, discuss that operations were very rudimentary in terms of the, the types of operations that you could have in an operating theater, you know, that early on. You could either do a lithotomy, so it, it's basically the removal of bladder stone. Um, I never discussed that one, it's very uncomfortable, especially for men. Um, then, of course, <laughs> it was much more common in men than in women. Right. And I mean, I'm telling you that some of these uh, bladder stones are like the size of uh, like chicken eggs. Oh. Oh, I've so, seen them in the science museum. Yeah. They're like the size of a fist. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. No. Yeah. yeah. 
So, I mean, there's, there are horror stories about men trying to get, to get rid of them themselves, you know, you know, by using some oh, cases like chisel oh, and hammer, underpiece. DIY. I mean, I have to say that out loud. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> it would, I mean, this is the reason why I never talk about it. I mean, like every man actually listening to this, they're like, oh my God, they're just like, <laughs> Suddenly their legs so it's just come like, together quite yeah, quickly. Yeah, exactly. Ooh. It just gets a little bit like tighter down there. Anyway, but uh, <laughs> besides the, the lithotomies, you could have a trepanation. So, you know, somebody hits you in the head or you have an accident. And of course, you know, to release the pressure, you could potentially, you know, open up a hole in the brain and allow in the skull and allow that excess fluid to come out. Sounds, uh, you know. Yeah, <laughs> that, you know. But people survived that, you know. It's, it's like we kept thinking the horror of these, you know, procedures, but people survived them because the surgeons knew what they were doing and of course besides the trepanation you're also going to have amputations of any kind so limbs um they will do also mastectomies they will do any external tumors that could be removed so anything that needs to come off not necessarily yes. a limb but it could be a, anything a that could be taken out yeah. they could potentially do that in the operating theater but that's it they didn't have the means of actually doing any sort of internal surgery you know and the operating theater these are like major procedures at the time uh, but they knew how to do them really well well they would have you know not only observed the operations even before they get to have a patient that is live they would have practice on dead bodies yeah. um, so they, they, there was a lot involved in actually learning these procedures um, for the students themselves and of course if you were a patient fortunately in St. Thomas's it was um, a hospital for the working poor so we don't have a lot of their voices um, about how they experience the entire thing. But I think that we can use our imaginations and our empathy. I mean, these are people that have gotten hurt to the point that they need to be in an operating theater. Mm -hmm. Being in an operating theater means that you're going to die regardless. So if you are actually, you know, if you have like a compound fracture, like you basically can't put that back together, no. you know, your bone has splinter, it has broken the skin, you can see it from outside, that is impossible to put it back together, infection is going to settle, you know, you're going to have gangrene, you're going to have septicemia, you know, and you're going to die a painful and slow death, and it's going to be horrendous anyway, so when the surgeon comes and tells you, <laughs> do you mind if we amputate your limb, you're gonna say yes, please do. Yes. You know, and then no, just get it off. You know, because if this is <laughs> if this is the only way which I'm gonna live, please get that thing off. You know. Yeah. So this is something that they're going to to do. Um, they do get asked for their consent. You know, before they go into well, the operating table. You know, um, some people. I mean, I recently read that there were some people that you know once they were in the operating table, they had a change of heart and they started like running away. <laughs> but they didn't. Doors <laughs> You know, doors up. Yeah, the series but like, no, sorry, you already said yes, so we're gonna do it anyway. <laughs> so, so it would have been quite horrendous, you know, from the perspective of the patients, you know, having to see something like that. And then, of course, you know, the whole idea of you know uh, the women would have been blindfolded before they got into the space. Yeah. Um, um, mostly for their own, you know, kind of like sensibilities. They are going to be a spectacle, right? Yeah. Um, the whole surgical procedure is a spectacle in a way, even if it's a, with a teaching, you know, purpose, but it is a spectacle. 150 men, all of them watching, none of them could shut up because they will be, hey, it's move your head, I can't see, you know, co conversing with each other yeah. um, and observing the operation at the same time. Because they're allowed to talk. Yeah. In the space. Oh, it would be noisy. Well, yeah, yeah, of course. And they will be smoking. <laughs> So there will be clouds of smoke rising here at the same time. So, so it would be like, I think 
that's your role? Yeah, I mean, there are moments in which when you are here, there were including too many people around the operating uh, table and, and the surgeons had to stop and ask people to just move and get out because they didn't have enough space to operate. So it would have been quite horrendous. So if you were to do some sort of like, let's just say we're going to do a, an amputation. So they will bring the patient, um, they will put it in the operating table, they will definitely put a, a tourniquet to make sure that, you know, as, as little blood as possible would be kind of like used yeah. and as lost, sorry, uh, it would be lost. And then of course, um, once that happens, the surgeon will come into the space. They will basically perform the operation as quickly as possible. So they will just cut through the meat, then saw through the bone. And when you say as quickly as possible, how, how long do you mean? So ideally two minutes. <gasps> Ideally, uh, Victorian surgery is known as Victorian speed surgery for a reason. Um, because of, I mean, there are three ways in which you can, you know, that c this thing can go, right? Yeah. Your patient can actually die from blood loss or from shock, you know, in the, in, in the actual operating table. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Or, you know, you make a mistake. I mean, yeah. I'm not kidding. Um, in one of Robert Liston's operations, his dressers made a mistake with the tourniquet and um, they didn't tie it like fast enough, so the patient bled to death. Oh my goodness. And the room is full, everybody's looking, wow. That's and of course, uh, they just did, a, they did a very bad job, and this is the thing. And a lot of times, Liston, uh, Liston actually used as an example, do not do this ever again, as a teaching <laughs> way. Oh, this was uh, on purpose. And, yeah, <laughs> you know, don't sure do you this. Know. <laughs> <laughs> don't you dare do this again. You actually release that, uh, do that you, know, you release that or you tie it when you're supposed to. <laughs> so your wow. patient does not die of blood loss, you know. So it would have been like quite, quite, quite bad um, in that way. But yeah, you will bring them here. You know, you will actually, you know, do the entire procedure in under two minutes. I mean, Jeez. Robert Liston has the record. He amputated leg for in 30 seconds. <laughs> you know, he was that fast. But you want that. You yeah. want them to, you know, give you the less amount of pain, right? Um, and of course, that pain is, is connected with how fast you can actually do the procedure. Yeah. So imagine, I'm, you know, Benjamin Travers, a man that basically... Um, was the demonstrator here in St. Thomas's had a patient, Elizabeth Reagan, who he had in the operating table for 20 minutes. Oh, that's, yeah. Yeah, that was like, the fact that she survived the procedure was in itself a miracle in a way. Wow. Uh, but definitely, I mean, once that would have been completed, you know, you have the, the dressers, which of course are the residents of the period, you know, supporting the surgeon and his work. They will just dress the wound. And again, this would have been like the surgical procedure. The, the limb would have been removed, placed underneath the... Um, place underneath the, um, the, the block box and you know that limb may have been used later on um, by a student to yeah. perform some sort of like dissecting or something like that so that was basically how that would have happened my goodness um, so yeah the horror of uh, pre-antiseptics and pre-anesthetic wow. surgery the patient will be aware and awake throughout the procedure um, and um, yeah they would have been given you know a leather strap to bite for the pain or they would have given them like uh, oh, a physician stick like we have one in our collection that you can tell where the bite marks are from someone that have gone through a surgical procedure oh my with goodness them. That is unbelievable. Well, listen, um, thank you so much for your time, for chatting to us. We're now going to go and delve a little bit more into the details of the actual surgery. Awesome. Well, you say that. I'm not quite sure. Come and visit the museum. Not for the faint-hearted. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much, thank Monica. You, thank you so much for coming. 
So there we go. That was Monica Walker from the old operating theatre painting a very, (laughs) a very... uh, Such a graphic image, isn't it? Yeah, a very graphic image of how it would have been. So where do we go from here, Emily? (laughs) So I guess just to kind of um, talk a little bit more about the patients. Yeah. Because, my gosh, I mean, as Monica said, they would have been alive. They would have been looking straight into the surgeon's eyes. Yeah, let's hope so. Um, You've got the headrest up in order for the surgeon to be able to see that the patient isn't, you know, dead or going into some kind of possible (laughs) seizure. Um, There's smoke around the room. People are chatting. You've probably had a little bit of alcohol. Um, You can't see anything because you have been blindfolded. Mm. Um, And also there's the wooden stick that you have in your mouth. So just in case you need something to, well, to scream into. And as Monica said, you know, this is a time when anaesthetic, it it doesn't exist at this point. So the pain level and the terror now, I mean, goodness the terror gosh yeah and the surgeon's apron of course would have been covered covered in blood um showing you know their well probably status isn't the right word prowess, but, um, I guess. showing their prowess god yeah you um, want somebody to turn up in a clean apron uh, bizarrely back then i mean now obviously you can't imagine anything now. worse than them turning up all bloodstained but that was a sign that they had done loads of operations this was not their first one and you could have faith in them and i mean you can't even imagine that now no no god and in terms of the first incision so the surgeon would make a u-shape and they still do this today, actually. We should so say this they're... is where it's going to get a little bit gory. So if you if you are not great with a bit of detail, then then fast forward a couple of minutes. But yeah, yeah, well, absolutely. Is this, going for it. This is your warning. <laughs> so let's say you're having your your leg amputated just underneath your knee. What they're going to do is they're going to make this cut of a U shape just underneath the knee, and that extra bit of skin is going to be used as basically a, a skin flap, if you like. I'm sure that's not the right terminology. Um, that's then going to go over the wound. Um, now, the assistants, they would be there. They would be there to pull the skin back. They would be there to, to put the tourniquete on. Um, there would be a blood box under the incision. So say, for instance, my leg has just been taken off. And as Monica said, you know, it's all about timing because if you take a long time, the longer you're in there, the um, the more uh, it's more likely that you are going to die. And um, yeah, I think there was, what did she say? The, um, uh, the fastest person to do it was in two, it was 30 seconds. And you can just imagine everybody cheering as well. Can't you as the sound (laughs) of the leg dropped into the blood box, which would have been used. Students would have used that, you know, nothing went to waste. Everybody wanted to look at it and examine it. Um, tweezers were used to pull out the veins and tie them together with silk. Mm. Dressings made from bed sheets of patients who have previously died. <laughs> Super fun. Oh, Let's hope they're awful, washed, isn't it? And of course, many died, um, not just from shock or loss of blood, but also died of infection. 
Now, in 1847, anaesthesia is brought in. And this Hooray! is where, <laughs> for anaesthesia. Um, this is where the surgeons, of course, get a bit cocky because they think, well, the um, the patient is, is unconscious. I can go deeper into the wound and, you know, I can have a bit of a, a play about. <laughs> Sorry. A bit of a dig. Awful, doesn't it? And I guess, you know, not having the patient alert and being able to talk to you and tell them their pain you know, you kind of presume, oh, they must be okay. But, yeah. oh, God. Because, of course, they weren't really dealing with anything that was internal. It was stuff that was external or, or close to the surface. They're not dealing with, you know, the organs and stuff. So when, no. when people are knocked out, they're like, oh, let's go and have a little look. <laughs> no! And death rates skyrocketed at that point, didn't they? Yeah. Because yeah, you kind of did. think anaesthetic uh, comes in, so that's going to you know take the death rate down because people will be knocked out and things will be done you know the shock is removed but i mean yeah if they get cocky it's not not great it's just like it's just another world and actually when we were in there we were walking around together weren't we and i said to you you know i wonder if two in 200 years you know we're going to be looking at museums in hospitals that we use now and um, people are absolutely shocked and horrified yeah. by the different things that we do now um now of course um uh, 1822 is a very important date but another important date is 1956 and this is actually when the operating theatre and what is left of St Thomas um, Church and the hospital it suddenly gets discovered um, and I should say it was in 1862 when the hospital closed and also moved. St Thomas Hospital today can be found in Southwark, um, just by Westminster Bridge. And the main hospital in the area now of London Bridge is, is Guy's Hospital. And the reason why it moved is a couple of things, really. The main one being that the railway was coming in during this time in the 1860s. And they needed to expand. They needed more space for London Bridge, which was um, the first overground station to be used in London. So it's at this point when entrances from the hospital into the garret were completely blocked up. In walks in Raymond Russell, who is actually doing a bit of research on the history of St Thomas Hospital. And he decides to have a bit of a roam around and do a bit of an investigation. And he actually manages to find... Um, this opening um, in what today would be the shop. So he would have found this kind of little room and found a ladder and made his way up into what is now the, the museum or what used to be the garret where you find all of these incredible things on display. Um, and he walked into the old operating theatre. It was very, very dark in there because where you've got the uh, the skylight today, where the light actually comes through, that was painted black at the oh, time. Okay. And all the other windows were absolutely thick with dirt and dust. So it would, I imagine, be so eerie, especially yeah. of all the creaking floorboards and the original wood and an untouched atmosphere where so much oh, happened yeah. in the way of operations and you know oh god it was quite a lot of yeah you can imagine the yeah sort of tingly feeling mm. discovering that for the first time in 100 years and yeah absolutely so that was in 1956 and today as i say it's it's well as you said you know it's one of those museums that's 
you know, not your regular run-of-the-mill museum. It's got so much to it. And you could, although it's small, you could easily spend hours in there looking at all the instruments for cupping, bleeding, skull drilling. Um, Unreal how much, yeah. (laughs) It's an amazing spot. And there is somebody who we've spoken about before who did go and view one of those um, uh, operations that happened there. And that was Oh My. Yes, Oh My, Oh My. The, the Polynesian uh, prince who, who we spoke about on a previous podcast. Gosh, that seems like such a long time it ago doesn't now, it doesn't just... it? Wow. But isn't it so exciting, Alex, when these names come up and you yeah. think, oh my God, I know about that person. Yeah, um, yeah and- I... Yeah, And one of the things is that this theatre, I did ask this when we were there, um, because one of the things I talk about on some of my tours, I think you do too, is, is body snatching. And mm. was this a place, uh, a theatre where they would come and, and watch, you know, anatomists work? And no, absolutely not. This was for living people um, who hoped to remain living. And it, as, as Monica said, um, this was a place of hope rather than fear, because this was your last chance saloon. Mm, absolutely. You wouldn't go in there just to, you know have a toenail dug out or something this was if it was life or death you were going to die or you were going to take a chance and I think that's quite a powerful a powerful place definitely um I must tell you that the old operating theatre they put a tweet out the other day um if your valentine isn't the box of chocolates and teddy bear type perhaps they might appreciate these anatomical heart earrings instead and (laughs) these hearts that actually look like hearts I think if I was on the tube and I saw someone wearing them I'd just be like god you're even my hero or i need to get into the next carriage you you sh- i mean to be fair I, I feel like that's in your ballpark actually. yeah true actually i'm putting this out there can someone please buy me these anatomical <laughs> heart earrings it's not gonna be me. Um, no no um i should say as well that the museum is open on thursdays fridays saturdays and sundays 10 30 to 5 p.m and it's a very good price for adults it's seven pounds and for children six to 16 it's four pound fifty and they have a, a whole variety of events on this year because it is their bicentenary. Mm. Um, and it's also, as well as the bicentenary of the theatre, it's the 60th anniversary of it being uh, rediscovered, I mm. think, isn't it? Mm. No, a lie. Uh, 60th no. anniversary of it being a museum. Mm. Yes. So there's lots of um, events, programmes, loads about women's health, um, holiday workshops, um, all that kind of thing. And so it is, I mean, as well as being an amazing museum, they've got loads of stuff on. So you can you can check that out on their website, which is oldoperatingtheatre.com for all uh, details in there. Amazing. Thanks, Em. No problem. Thanks to Monica. Thanks to everybody at the Old Operating Theatre for showing us around a couple of weeks ago. It was fascinating. And and Monica did genuinely, so as well as chatting to us, she did a whole, I mean, I think she says it's normally about an hour, but she really sort of squished into the time we had. She did a whole demonstration, including getting somebody on the operating table um, and, you know, sort of pretend amputating their leg. And it was it was really amazing. So if you are up for something like that, do go and check them out. Um, and Monica, I think, does these events, uh, you know, regularly for families and visitors and that kind of thing. So if you're up for a bit of slightly squeamish fun. Ooh. And she was wearing really the one. bloody apron as well, she wasn't was. she? In fact, well, we had a photo with this. Yeah. Complete idiots. <laughs> um, yeah, amazing. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Em. You're welcome. Thank you. Fantastic.
Podcast Pedestal. So the picks. Mm. Mm. Yes. So it's your choice to start. What would you like to go with? Oh my gosh. It's one like last week where there's just lots of different bits. What made me go the most? Do you know what you're going to go for? Not yet. I think it might have to be no 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 anesthetic. Oh really? Yeah. Oh my goodness. Okay. okay. Yeah, I think so. The the patient being awake and aware. You really like the gory stuff, don't you? I do. I really <laughs> really do. I find it fascinating. I tell you who are what I'm going to go for is I'm going to go for your man who does the um, operation in 30 seconds. Oh, Liston. Liston, yeah. Liston. Liston. Mm. Yes, Liston, because... Robert Liston. I mean, that is the height of, of, you know, just doing the best you possibly can for your patients. He's not... I mean, I suppose he's grandstanding in a way, but he's going to have a much better rate of of survival you would hope anyway with the 30 second and you you know just minimizing the pain 30 seconds in seconds. out Legs time gone. to to make a cup of tea not even wow. not even actually no so i'm gonna go for for robert liston who is the the 30 second surgeon wow that's my pick. okay good pick good pick so All yes right. i'm going for being um awake and aware mm. And you'll go for Robert Liston. Okay, for Robert Liston, who uh, tried to keep them awake and aware and for a lot less time than some other people. God, I hope no one's got uh, any surgery coming up in the next couple of days that are listening to this. Apologies. Good luck. Apologies. Apologies. All right, those are your options for this week, uh, gang. So before we head on, uh, Parish Notices, anything you want to tell people? What have you got coming up? Well, just remember, guys, that I've got a new will, or we've got a new will. Sorry, how rude. Um, and there are quite a few segments on this will, and we need them to be filled up with questions. So we've obviously got place names around London, but we want your questions. You know, do you have any questions about um, particular events that have happened in London? Do you want to know anything? Do you want to dare Alex and I to do anything? <laughs> Please, no. Um, <laughs> Um, let us know let us know by messaging us on instagram or writing to us on an email and we'll put them on the wheel and and then we'll spin it who knows yeah who knows absolutely so we've got a couple in but we'd love some more yes fabulous well from my uh perspective i have a couple of tours coming up the 19th of february i have my harlots tour I've got a few people booked on that already um then on the 26th of february my street art in the morning and smithfield in the afternoon um, and I think that's it for the time being. And then another Harlots on the 13th of March. But um, I'll send out a little uh, email to my mailing list shortly. Uh, so they've got all the de- details, which you can sign up for if you would like. But that's it, really. That's uh, that's everything I've got coming up for the time being. Yeah. Wonderful. The Wheel of Destiny. Well, I guess it's time to uh, spin wheel the Wheel clock. of Destiny. Let's do it. Okay, it's my turn next week. Uh, it is. Let's go. It's landed on Soho. Soho. Oh, perfect. Because it's currently Queer History Month. So LGBTQ History Month. Uh, yes. Um, so and there's plenty of that in Soho. 
So let's... Uh, oh, I think what I'm going to go for is a rather secret little club called the Caravan Club. And this is not a caravan club about. where you go, you know, you own a caravan. In a caravan. Yeah, <laughs> it's a very different club. This is one of the first LGBT uh, clubs in London. So we're going to look at the caravan club. Excited! I don't know anything about it, so uh, I'm looking forward to it, Alex. Amazing. Thank you very much. Fabulous. Well, that's it from us for this week. Thank you all so much for coming along. And please, you know, write us a little review. Tell us how we're doing. Let us know your thoughts. Yes, and please, you know, do communicate. We've got no shout-outs this week because no one's been in touch. So uh, get in touch. Come and tell us things, um, and we will, uh, yeah, we'll have some more shout-outs hopefully next week. But for Definitely. now. From us. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, everybody. We'll see you next week. Big love. Bye.